We read the Word of the Lord this morning, first of all, in Psalm 33, and then we will turn to Isaiah chapter 64. As we read through this, I encourage you to take note of the psalmist speaking of the creative work of God. Psalm 33, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto Him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto Him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all His works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught, He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom He hath chosen for His own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven, He beholdeth all the sons of men, From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death, and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him, because we have trusted in His holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. Let's turn now to Psalm, rather, Isaiah chapter 48, 64. Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, O that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down. The mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art raw. For we have sinned, and those is continuance, and we shall be saved. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, 
And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. Thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou art potter, and we all are the work of thine hand. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. Thy holy cities are a wilderness, Zion is a wilderness, Jerusalem is a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house, where our fathers praised thee, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace? And afflict us very sore. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. It's on the basis of these passages of scripture and many others besides that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9, found on page 7 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 9, question 26. What believest thou when thou sayest, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth? Answer, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is... For the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father, on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body, and further, that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage. For he is able to do it being Almighty God, and willing, being a faithful Father. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9, is a theologically rich Lord's Day which contains a number of significant truths within it. So numerous are the deep, profound, and comforting truths of Lord's Day 9 that it is possible that one loses sight of the main thought of Lord's Day 9, and instead gives all of the attention to the secondary truths contained within this Lord's Day. There is within this one question and answer the truth of creation. The eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them. And that's an important and a comforting truth to be reminded from God's Word of the fact that He alone created the heavens and the earth. And it's necessary that we be instructed about the fact that God alone created to defend against the theories about the origin of man's existence, which theories arise out of unbelief. And then in addition to the truth of creation taught here in this Lord's Day, there is the important truth of providence.
Sacraments, which the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9, speaks of. Continuing in the parentheses, who likewise upholds and governs the same by His eternal counsel and providence. Another rich and comforting truth that we do well to have on the forefront of our minds, especially when we go through times of affliction. We need to be reminded that God is in control of this. But that cannot be the main thought of Lord's Day 9, because Lord's Day 10 is devoted entirely to the truth of providence. It's mentioned here in Lord's Day 9, but God willing, next week in Lord's Day 10, we'll look more fully at providence. So what then is the main thought of Lord's Day 9? Is it not, beloved, the fatherhood of God? That's how it begins. What believest thou when thou sayest, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth? I believe, we believe, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then if you omit the parentheses, is for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and my Father. That's the primary truth that we consider this morning, that God for Jesus' sake is my God and my Father. That's the comfort that the aged, dying saint has. That God is my God and my Father. And that's the motivation that the child has to live a life of obedience to his parents because the Almighty God of the heavens is my God and my Father. Believing God the Father. We use that as our theme this morning. First, we consider generally the idea of fatherhood, especially as that is shown in the relationship of God the Father with His Son, Jesus Christ. Second, we'll look at His creative work, the work of God creating the heavens and the earth. And then third, see that He is our Father in Christ. What does it mean to be a father? We saw a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Lord's Day 8, which treats the subject of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the essence of being a father, what it is that distinguishes a father from anyone else upon this earth, is a father is one who begets another. And so within the Trinity, God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, is He who begets His only begotten Son, the second person of the Trinity. For God the Father, as He stands in relationship to the second person of the Trinity, this is an eternal act of God. There never was a time where God the Father was not actively begetting the second person of the Trinity the Son. But then what else may be said about what is a father? We understand that that's the, the essence of it. That's what distinguishes a male from a father. A father is one who has begotten a child as compared to a male who has not yet had a child. But must we stop there? Is, is that the conclusion of 
what God's Word says about what it means to be a father. What's your idea of fatherhood? Based on the unique circumstances of your childhood and how you were raised and how you were treated by your father, there could be a wide range of answers given about what fatherhood truly is. Some, thanks be to God, have an overwhelmingly positive view of fatherhood. They were blessed with a father who is caring, who is nurturing, who is steadfast, who provided for the children, who was there for the children. Others when asked, what is your idea of fatherhood, have overwhelmingly negative thoughts that come to mind. Whose father? Father's an angry person. Sometimes he yells at mom. Whose father? Father's a lazy person. He was always sitting in the chair with his feet up. Who's father? Some would say father is a drunk. You can always tell when not to get in dad's presence because if his breath smelled like alcohol, stay away from father. What is your view of fatherhood? This is an especially important question for those of us who have been called by God to be fathers. Without our actively realizing it, our view of fatherhood is shaped by the way we were raised. And sometimes those influences of our parents upon us are good influences and we we do well to continue in that way. But other times the influences of our parents and now especially the influence of our father can be a negative influence upon us. And so if we then continue in the way that our father treated us, then sin perpetuates itself from one generation to the next generation. And so it's necessary then that the generation that follows learn not just from the example of dad, earthly dad, what it means to be a father, but learn also and even especially from God's Word. What does it mean to be a father? And what the Word of God makes abundantly clear is that beyond simply the act of begetting a child, bringing a child forth into this world, to be a Christian father is to be one who loves the child or the children whom God has given unto you. Love, that's what characterizes and is true of the Christian Father. Is not that the case within the Trinity? That's the starting point here for examining what fatherhood is. Looking at the relationship that God the Father has with His own Son. And is it not the case that there is a bond between God the Father and God the Son There is intimacy and closeness between the Father and the Son. There is the Spirit we saw last time in Lord's Day 8 who is breathed forth from the Father to the Son and from the Son to the Father. And the Spirit unites the Father and the Son together in that bond of love. Love, that's what it means to be a father. But then... 
Let's spell out more here what that love looks like. How does a father show the child, I love you? Does it not start with those very words expressing to your children that you do love them? Sometimes fathers can be reluctant to do that. There's a certain stoicism that can characterize fathers. I'll show you by my actions that I love you, but I don't, I don't actually have to tell you that I love you. What did God the Father do at the baptism of Jesus? His voice heard, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What does it mean to love your children? Not just that you give to them words of affirmation and love, but also that you provide for them. That's love, is it not? Seeking the good of another individual. That's what God the Father did for His Son. He provided for Jesus. He gave Jesus a home in which He was raised up as a young boy. He gave Jesus earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, who cared for Him, taught Him, provided for Him, nurtured Him. That's what fathers do. They toil and they labor to provide for their children. And fathers, do you not find a certain sense of satisfaction in carrying out that God-given mandate unto you? Yes, it requires selflessness as you labor on behalf of the home to provide for the home, but there is joy and there's satisfaction that comes in being able to do this work. That's fatherhood, not laziness, but providing for the home. Fatherhood, it's love. What does love mean? According to Ephesians 6, it means you do not provoke your children to wrath. That's love. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. They can be provoked to wrath by having a chastisement that is too severe. By having a chastisement that is so sharp and so severe that it's greater than what fits the crime that was committed. And so the, father, the child then grows to resent father because father is so severe in the way that he disciplines the children. The father can provoke his child to wrath in addition by having unrealistic expectations that He places upon the child. Every child wants their sons and their daughters to... Every father wants the sons and daughters to grow up, to succeed, to live accomplished lives. But sometimes fathers can place such heavy burdens and have such high expectations upon the children that then the children grow up never confident that they've really pleased Dad. Always striving to do better. Always trying to improve, but never confident that as dad looks down upon them, dad is pleased with what they've done. And then the child grows up doubting, does dad really love me as a person? Or is dad only happy with me if I behave in this certain way or that certain way or have this accomplishment or that accomplishment in my life? Provoke them not. To anger. Love. To love a child means that a father lives with and fellowships with the child. Is that not what the covenant father does with his people? 
Genesis 17, 7, God came to Abraham, I will be your God, you will be my people. It's a covenant formula that God takes His people unto Himself. That's the idea of fatherhood. Not that father is always away from home. Not that father is looking for excuses, perhaps work excuses to be gone from home so that he is never present with his children. But the father labors to provide with this goal so that he can be home with his children. Love. And then what else does it mean to be a father? A father is one who directs his child or his children in the way of holiness. That's fatherhood. The father has a will, a desire for his children. This was, again, the case, was it not, in the inner Trinitarian relationship of the father with the son. The father had a will. father had a desire. The will of the father was that he would be glorified through the creation through the redemption, and through the glorification of His people on the basis of the finished work of His Son, Jesus Christ. That was the unchanging and everlasting will of the Father. But now, as the Son stood in relationship to the will of the Father, what did the Son do? Did the Son resist the will of the Father? No. The Son, Jesus Christ, the Son executed the will of the Father. He did the will of the Father even when the will of the Father was difficult for Him. Even when the will of the Father required sacrifice of Himself upon that accursed tree. The Son executed the will of the Father. Why? Because the Father's will for Him was the way of holiness. It was the good way that the Father directed His Son, Jesus Christ. And so it is then for us as earthly fathers, as we stand in relationship to our sons. Every father has desires for his sons and his daughters. He has a will for them. There's a certain way that He wants them to go. But what is that way that you as earthly fathers want them to go? What's your plan for them? And here we as fathers must reflect or must examine our own desires for our children. Do we have a very narrow, self-centered view of what we want our children to be or become? Is our goal for our children that they can be straight-A students in school? Is our goal as parents, as fathers, that our children would succeed athletically? That they would succeed financially? Is our goal that they would stay very close to us and not move away from us? What is our goal as parents, fathers. It's not so much about what we personally want as fathers, but it's about what God wants of His children. The goal of the Christian father is to direct His children in the way of holiness. Fathers have no greater delight 
than to know that their children walk in truth. And so the father who has authority over that child directs the child in the way that he should go, trusting that the Lord will work faith in that child so that when he is old, the child will not depart from the Word of God. As fathers direct their children in the way that they are to go, this way of holiness, fathers must be reminded that they have the right to insist upon the obedience of their children. This is presently being attacked by the teaching of the world. The world would say that parents may make suggestions for their children. The world would say that parents can point out a better way, a better option for children. But the world is not going to teach that you as a parent have the right to impose your will upon the child. But the Word of God in Ephesians chapter 6 is this, Children, obey your parents. And part of the obedience to your parents is the fact that they have a measure of authority given unto them that is greater, that is over your authority as a child. And as parents, you have the right to insist that your children obey the commandments that you give, which commandments must be, of course, in accord with the Word of God. And then when the child does not obey those commandments, then the parent has the right, even the calling, to discipline the child. Not to spare the rod and spoil the child, but lovingly to discipline them. All of this with the goal of directing the child in the way of holiness. Having considered here generally now the idea of fatherhood, let us see more clearly here the power of God as Father. And we see the power of God revealed, especially in God's work of creation. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Verse 9 of the same psalm. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Heidelberg Catechism, as it speaks of the creative work of God, says that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them. God created of nothing. That is, out of nothing. There, were no raw, there was no raw material that existed prior to the beginning that God could use or did use to shape the heavens and the earth. God did not merely reshape or reform material as He created. That's what we do, do we not? We don't create something out of nothing, but we take the material that already exists And we cut it, carve it, design it, shape it, combine it with other elements in such a way that we call it a new creation, a different creation. But that's not the same way in which God created. God created out of nothing. And so that God created out of nothing means then that God was able to create this earth exactly the way that God wanted this earth to be. And again, that is so different from how we create things. When we speak of the human way of us creating 
things. When we create or, or, or reshape something, we are limited by the material that is available and then our ability to work with that material. I have as a hobby woodworking. I enjoy doing woodworking. But the limitations that I face in woodworking are such that I cannot go beyond what wood is capable of sustaining. There are certain limits to the length of boards. Limitations to the power of boards. Limitations in the joinery of those boards together. And I, I can't change what a board can do. So, such limitations are imposed upon anybody who is involved in creative work. The artist who, who paints with different colors. You can mix various colors together and, and try to sh- create new colors with that, but you, you can't recreate color. When you're, when you're baking, if you enjoy using your creative efforts to bake, you can use the raw material that exists there for baking, but you cannot create new raw material. And so we are limited in our creative work by the material that is available. How different it was then for Almighty God. He wasn't limited by the materials that were available. But God could shape the heavens and the earth to be exactly the way that God wanted them to be. Psalm 33, verse 9, For He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. How incredible and how amazing is that power of God. That He could speak the Word. And upon speaking the Word, let there be light. Immediately there was this substance that we call light. That God could say, let there be a firmament. And immediately, no delay, no pause, there was this vast firmament that was upon the face of this earth. But then... The question that we face is, what guided the Lord as He shaped the earth? What was the Lord striving for as He shaped this earth? If there was nothing that limited Him, no limitation in power, no limitation in His creative abilities, if there was nothing that limited God, as He shaped the heavens and the earth, then why did God create this earth the way that He did? And we understand that ultimately God created the heavens and the earth for the glory of His own name. So that He would be praised. But there's more. God created as Father. And that guided the Lord as He shaped the heavens and the earth. It was the Father, the eternal Father of Jesus Christ, the Father who adopts all of His children into His family, the Father who created. Psalm 33, although it speaks of the power of God in creation, does not speak specifically of the fact that God created as Father. But that does come out very clearly in Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, verse 8, But now, O Lord, 
Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou our potter. And we all are the work of Thy hand. And so it was not a mere impersonal force that shaped the heavens and the earth. The work of creation was not merely a demonstration of the limitless power and abounding creativity of our God, but the work of creation was also a demonstration of the fatherly care and love that Jehovah exercises unto His people. And so we can see then the fatherly love and the the hand of the Father found throughout creation. The creation bears, does it not, a certain resemblance unto the One who created it. It's the most elegant book which declares the power and the divinity and we could add as well the fact that He created as Father. So we see the hand of the Father throughout creation. What does it recall? What does it mean to be a father? Well, father is one who loves. And so it was out of love for His Son, Jesus Christ, and out of love for His church that God the Father shaped the mountains and the hills, the water and the seas, which shows forth the greatness of His omnipotence. We see the love of God revealed in creation in this regard that God gave unto man a place of dominion over this earth. God shaped the earth and then God commanded Adam to exercise dominion, to rule over that creation. It was an act of love on behalf of God the Father. What does it mean to be a father? A father is one who provides. And do we not see the abundant provision of the Father in the work of creation? The goal of the Father was to create a home, a habitation for His people. And so God ensured that everything would be in place so that it would be a a proper, a conducive home for His own covenant children. That's why God did not create Adam and Eve on the first day, but He created them as the pinnacle of His creation on the sixth day. First, God shaped everything else so that it would be possible for Adam and Eve to have a home here below. Father, one who provides. He created. Vegetation, animals, so that man would have something to eat. He created grain that could be used to make bread. He created fish. So that later on when Jesus Christ was on this earth, He could take the five loaves and the two fishes and feed the 5,000 people. God, as Father, created with the view for providing for His people. Who's a father? A father is one who fellowships with His people. And we see this covenantal work of God revealed in the fact that the very first thing that He created light. Why light? Created light because light is necessary for fellowship. Before He created the sun, the moon, the stars, that didn't come until several days later, He created light so that He could fellowship with the creature. What's a father? A father is one who directs his children 
in the way of holiness. A father is one who disciplines and who corrects when there is sin. And do we not see that God used this earth for that very purpose to correct, chasten His people when they fell into sin? When Adam and Eve said, no, we're not going to walk in this way of holiness, but we're going to walk in a way that pleases ourselves and serves the devil, then God used this earth to chasten them. And God placed a curse upon this earth. Everything that God did in His creative work was with a view towards showing that He is Father. God created, did He not, even the trees of this earth. Created that tree with a view towards sending His only begotten Son to be hanged upon that accursed tree to redeem His people from their sins. And so it is that God is, for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and my Father. The omnipotent, the all-wise, the eternal and the unchanging One, who eternally begets His Son in an act of ongoing love to Him, the One who had the power to create by the word of His mouth the heavens and the earth and all that is therein, that God is my God and my Father. Who would dare to make such a claim Who could dare to have any right to claim possession of this God that He is my God and my Father? People are attracted to powerful individuals. People will follow persuasive and influential individuals of this earth. But who would dare to claim that this individual is mine? And now we are going to claim of the Almighty God That He is my God and my Father? What an astounding claim the Heidelberg Catechism makes here. It is only in Christ and only for the sake of Jesus Christ His Son that we may ever make this claim. It is only because our elder brother went and died that accursed death on the cross, that now we are adopted and brought into the family of God the Father. And so we confess then, He is my God and my Father. For Jesus' sake, I know that He is. And I have no less right to call God my Father than the right that Jesus has to call God His Father. I have no less right to come into the presence of the Father, fellowship with this Father, sit at the Father's table than Jesus Christ has those same rights. It is because we are united unto Christ, one with Him by faith, that through Christ, we belong to the Father. With a childlike faith, then we rely upon our Heavenly Father. We rest upon our Father and His Word. Psalm 33, verse 21, For our heart shall rejoice in Him 
because we have trusted in His holy name. Whenever evils come to us upon this earth, what the Catechism calls evils, afflictions, trials, we believe that these evils come to us in this valley of tears to turn out to my advantage. All of the brokenness that we see upon this earth, brokenness in the workplace, in the home, in relationships, are under the perfect control of our Father's hand. And so we rely upon Him. We rely on Him with a childlike trust. Even as a child does not doubt or wonder where the next meal will come from, as the child is not worried about whether Father will be able to provide, but is confident that as Father has always done in the past, so Father will continue to do in the future. Likewise we, with a childlike trust, rely upon our Father in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank Thee that Thou art not far removed from us, but that Thou art with us, and even by Thy Spirit art in us. Wilt Thou direct us in the way of holiness? May we live lives of gratitude unto Thee. Guard us from sin and forgive us for Jesus' sake. Amen.